0: Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. It's the end of Winter Meetings Week. We're going to wrap up some signings. We're obviously going to talk about Yandy Diaz, StatCast hero being traded. Joe Kelly to the Dodgers. Lots of interesting numbers there. I have an idea about how the Yankees should try to attack their home park. And there's something really interesting about JT Remedio. We're going to get to all that first. Thanks, everyone, who listened to the Adam Montavino special episode we uh, put out last Monday. Mike, Mike,
1: they're all special episodes.
0: Well, you know what I mean. It was a full interview with Adam Adivino. Uh So much good feedback from that. Everyone really liked it. It seemed like everyone really liked the part where he said he could strike out Babe Ruth if Babe Ruth was here today. That sort of took off. It was like the very last thing he said, and that's what people liked. Uh, it was on ESPN, like. Four different times, which was kind of cool, and um, I don't know. I I hope he's not too annoyed by the fact that that was the takeaway from what was otherwise a really interesting discussion, you know, about pitch design. Uh, but hey, that worked for me. That was a lot of fun.
1: It uh, it went viral. I, yeah. think we, I think we could say even Bud Black was asked about it. Was he the, really? I yeah. didn't see that. Yeah, at the winter meetings, and all the managers do their little scrubs, and someone has Bud Black his 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 former manager. What did, what did he say? I actually don't. Oh, remember. see
0: now I gotta now I gotta find out about that. Uh, speaking of the winter meetings, you were there in las vegas for four days uh, during which time i heard that nobody went outside whatsoever
1: what was your experience at the winter meetings uh i went outside a little bit uh, at least twice so i got some fresh air uh, it's always nice to see uh see friendly faces that you've gotten to know over the, the course of uh your time in baseball so uh so that that's cool barely you know you don't really see the see the the gms that often uh they basically just stay in there stay in their uh their hotel rooms. The only uh, the only execs I spotted were uh, Andrew Friedman the first night, uh, Kevin Goldstein old friend of the podcast with the Astros, and Dave Cameron also a former podcast guest who's with the uh, with with the Padres. But of course, as as seems to happen somewhat regularly with uh, the winter meetings, the most interesting deal happened basically while everyone was leaving town uh, Thursday afternoon. A big three way trade.
0: Yeah. So I think on most shows, if they're going to talk about this trade, they're going to talk about. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion going to Seattle, right, where he's probably going to stay for maybe 20 more minutes. Uh, Carlos Santana back to Cleveland. That's really interesting. But on this show, we're going to talk about Yandi Diaz. I, like When the, the rumors of this deal started happening, and uh, I was talking to Jason Catania, who's on our staff here, and he's like, boy, I wonder if it'll be Yandi Diaz back to Tampa Bay. And I tweeted out, nothing would make me happier. And then like 10 minutes later, it happened. And it's a really interesting deal. Jake Bauer is also going back uh, from Tampa Bay to Cleveland. And what this really seems to be, is Tampa kind of betting hard on Yandi Diaz and his exit Like I know what show we're on. I'm not trying to like make this all about us, uh, but Jake Bowers had a pretty good debut last year. He's young. He's like five years younger than Diaz. And they also kicked in $5 million, which went to Seattle who then ended up sending $6 million to Cleveland. So Tampa Bay really seems to be very interested in Yandi Diaz. And I think if you've been listening to the show for a while, you've heard us talk about him, but if you haven't, uh, this is, Maybe the most fascinating guy in baseball. I mean, if you've ever seen a picture of him, he has muscles that are like bigger than my entire body. His forearms he's the most are, are in baseball. massive, but he doesn't hit for power. He's hes had 299 career mid-ring plate appearances over the last two years. He has one home run. In his pro career, he has, I think, I didn't write this down, I think it was 27 homers in five seasons. And how does a guy that big not hit for power when he hits this hard? And this is where the, uh, the exit velocity numbers come in. In 2017, he had a 50% hard hit rate. Major League average was 33%. And those are batted
1: balls of 95 miles an hour yes, or Yes,
0: they are. Uh, last year, 44%. So if you combine those two years, his hard hit rate, 47.6%, where the Major League average is 34.3%. You might think to yourself, hey, that's pretty good. And it's really, really good. Over the last two seasons, there have been 504 players to make contact with 100 batted balls. All right, So the hard hit range there goes from Aaron Judge at the top, just under 55%. All the way down to Billy Hamilton at 10%. Diaz ranks 19th. That is 96th percentile hard hit. The three guys directly ahead of him: Christian Yelich, Carlos Stanton, and Manny Machado. Those are some names I've heard of those players. But you're probably already way ahead of me and realizing why he doesn't hit for any power of those 504 players. Eighth lowest launch angle or 25th highest ground ball rate. Uh, it helps to hit the ball hard. It also helps to hit the ball hard in the air. So this seems to me a major bet on Tampa Bay's part that they can fix it. And I should say, it's not like Cleveland didn't know this. They've been talking about this for like three years. They haven't been able to make it work. So i am be fascinated to know if if Tampa can do what Cleveland could not.
1: Do. Yeah, and, Cle- and the Rays even threw in an extra $5 million in this deal to get right. Diaz, showing that like they, they clearly, this is the guy they want.
0: They threw in the CJ Cron money to get Yandy Diaz. I mean, this is a big bet for them. I also think... Uh, in addition to this, they like the versatility. He's he's actually a third baseman. He can play first. He can play some outfield, but primarily a third baseman. Uh, and I think also, you know, they wanted to add a, uh, you know, a right-handed bat where I think Jake Bowers was a left-handed bat. So it's a big gamble. I'm not actually sure I like this. Like from a StatCast point of view, I love it, right? Uh, from a, a roster point of view, I'm not entirely sure I love it because Bowers is a good player. But this was the most interesting deal by far. For
1: me. And And you pulled another interesting stat that I want to read right now, which sort of speaks to... Tampa Bay's organizational strategy um, of the of the the hard hit list of those five hundred of the five hundred four players with at least one hundred uh, plate appearance, or was it one hundred batter balls one hundred batter balls of 2017, 2018 the arrays have in the last few months have required three of the top twenty six in terms of hard hit rate. There's Yanni Diaz at nineteenth, Tommy Pham at twenty third, Mike Z- Mike Zunino at twenty sixth. Those have all joined the Rays since last July. Not to mention the fact that they've been heavily rumored to be in on Nelson Cruz, which they should still go get. <laughs> they still go do, and he would. I'm I'm almost certain he's above above Diaz. I, I don't have Mandy, but he's got to be up there. Yep. So it's 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 clearly a thing for the Rays, and they they believe that they could get uh, Diaz putting the ball in the air more and making use uh, of the, of that exit velocity.
0: I mean, I hope they do. Like I said, Cleveland knew this. I, I don't consider Cleveland to be a stupid organization or anything. They have people who are very good at this. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where if it works, then that's he's just the next guy on the list. You know, he's the next Josh Donaldson, the next, you know, uh, J.D. Martinez. I'm not sure it's going to work, but I really want it to, just because it's fascinating. It's not the only move that they made, by the way. They also signed Charlie Morton. Two years, $30 million. And I had two immediate reactions to that deal. The first reaction was, this is great. This is wonderful for them. They obviously need a talented starting pitcher. You know, the second thing was, well, where was everybody else?
1: <laughs> like, how many other teams would have wanted him for two years and $30 million? And there's also, like, there is I think there's, like, a lackey option in there where yeah, basically exactly he gets right. hurt, they get, they, get, they, they, they get an option year out there, out there for, for way less money. Now, that was, like, the most perfect marriage of, like, player and team. He's, like, got high-end skills, but he's older, late bloomer, so he's not going to be too expensive, high spin rate, like, nasty stuff. Like, he is, like... Totally more to the Rays. Like, that makes all sorts of sense.
0: Absolutely. And if you look at their rotation now, uh, Snell, obviously phenomenal. Morton, uh, Tyler Glasnow, who really showed a lot after the trade. You know, they've got the trio of young guys who are injured, who you expect to get something from. Honeywell, De Leon, Anthony Bonda, um, you know, all of the endless openers, Ryan Stanek and Yanni Chirinos. And, and uh, there's just, there's a lot of talent there. I mean, we've been talking about this for a while. The Rays were fascinating, and they needed to be aggressive this offseason. So far, so good. <laughs> and, they, and they
1: could, they could, they still, you know, for pretty low payroll, even by race standards, they could still go out and, I think, sign Cruz. I could see them signing someone like Ottavino. Yeah. Or um,
0: trading for Jose Martinez. Or right? trading for that Jose still Martinez. makes a lot
1: of sense. I mean, when, that, when the trade happened, there was this rumor that was out there that Encarnacion was going to come back to the Rays as part of the deal. Still could, I well,
0: guess. Yeah, they could
1: make a separate deal, which would have made all sorts of sense. I, I mean, there's no way he stays in Seattle, right? No, I mean it's crazy to me that the Rockies or Rays wouldn't go get him. The Rockies, one one year left on his deal, the guy can still can still hit homers. Like there should be plenty of t- he can play first. He can play a passable first base. He can DH. Like there's a few American League, like, the, the Astros. Perfect, love um, them. So whoever doesn't get Nelson Cruz, good chance. And uh, frankly, I'd almost prefer. Encarnacion on a one-year deal if Cruz is looking for multi years
0: That's actually a great point. Also part of that deal, Carlos Santana back to Cleveland. uh, But to be honest, I'm sick of talking about Carlos Santana. Go back and listen to any of our five previous shows for thoughts on Carlos Santana. He's still a good player, right? He's still a valuable guy who will help them. I don't know how he fits with Yonder Alonso. That's the weird part. And I think I saw Yonder Alonzo tweet a confused emoji, <laughs> which is always fun. Uh, they're going to have to sort that part out. But now they've got Bowers in the mix, too. It's, it, there's a lot of moving pieces here.
1: Uh, the biggest signing at the Winter Meetings was Andrew McCutcheon in terms of in terms of money. Yeah. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon, three years, $50 million to the Phillies. Your
0: thoughts? Um, fair for both sides. I saw a lot of people who were surprised uh, at how much money he got. I think people thought he was going to get less. And uh, to me, it, it seemed like exactly right. I mean, there were rumors he wanted the Lorenzo Kane 5 for 80. That was never going to happen because Lorenzo Cain is an elite defensive center fielder, and Andrew McCutcheon is certainly not. 3 for 50 sounds pretty fair and reasonable to me. We talked about him a couple weeks ago. He's in a decline, I guess, in the sense that he's not the MVP he once was. But as far as declines go, this is a pretty soft one. He's been about 20% above average hitting-wise for the last few years. Uh, he, we looked at his sprint speed. There's been no speed decline. He's still in the 80th, 85th percentile. He's not a great outfielder, and that's I think the one thing that gives me pause for the Phillies is, do they need another guy who's not necessarily a great glove? Uh, but they're moving Hoskins back to first base, so that's huge. They can still go sign Bryce Harper, put him in the other corner. I don't think this prevents that. So in a vacuum, this is a team that had a lot of holes. Uh, they needed to fill some of those holes with solid players. They ended up with Segura. I like this a lot. I think it makes sense.
1: I will, say, I will say one thing from the, you know, maybe take it with a grain of salt. But if he's going to be the guy that's that's replacing Hoskins defensive innings it doesn't clear how much of an upgrade it is
0: oh no come on Hoskins is
1: atrocious I'm just giving you the numbers last year uh, in terms of players who are in the outfield going by outs above average the Statcast metric of choice amongst qualified outfielders 87 of them Hoskins ranked 86th McCutcheon ranked 82nd
0: I'm not saying McCutcheon was good I'm saying Hoskins was unplayable and I think in that sense it's a it's a mild step up
1: yeah I think it's I agree with you it's a step up um I'm not taking those numbers entirely at face value point I was trying to make is McCutcheon might actually be a pretty bad outfielder now so it's unclear if it's a big upgrade or a mild upgrade you know I still think the Phillies should sign Harper but now you're giving me pause about a defensive
0: outfield that might have Harper in a corner McCutcheon in a corner and Herrera in center field is probably better in a corner uh so there's that uh, the other deal that happened this week Lance Lynn I was surprised that he got three years out of Texas. Uh, and we did talk about Lancelin in detail, uh, you know, obviously coming off some weird up and down years, uh, signed with the twins last year, wasn't good at the highest walk rate in baseball when he was traded. And then he goes to the Yankees, moves his position on the mound. And I think this is my favorite stat of the year with the Yankees. He had a 38 to one strikeout to walk against right-handed hitters. I don't think he's that good, obviously. $10 million a year is not that much. We know Texas desperately needs pitchers. Uh, I was just surprised he got three times the length this year as he did last year, and it sounds like you agree with me on that.
1: Yeah, I was surprised, and I was like, what is Texas doing? But I guess even if they're rebuilding, they need someone to pitch.
0: Uh, yeah, I guess that's probably true. Joe Kelly got a three-year deal I think the reliever market to me is the most interesting just because there's there's so many good relievers out there Miller's out there and uh, Zach Britton we saw Familia go back to the uh, to the Mets. obviously is out there three million or three years 25 million I just saw before we came in here that Ken Gurnick, our dodgers.com beat reporter uh, said that they were the only team that had offered him three year, offered him three years so if that makes sense he's also from the area he's like 40 minutes away from Dodgers Stadium and reportedly they had blown him away with this presentation. For how they were going to use him, which makes a lot of sense to me. That seems like a thing the Dodgers would do. I follow a lot of Dodger fans on Twitter. They don't seem thrilled about this. I've completely talked myself into it. I think I like it.
1: I, I love this deal. I mean, Joe Kelly. I think relievers like you can like unlock them in different ways and different points in their career. Like, look what happened with Andrew Miller. Like he was a failed starter and then made a couple tweaks, went to the bullpen, suddenly became like the best reliever in baseball. I mean, just looking at like stuff and movement. In the playoffs, I think Kelly's legit. And I think that, like, they just got – I wouldn't say really good value, but, like, a really good player for a reasonable price. I think he's going to be a, a dominant reliever for the next – my hot take, he's going to be a dominant reliever for the next three years. There,
0: there's been this long-running joke on baseball Twitter that Joe Kelly has, air quotes, great stuff,
1: right? I mean, and it's But it's actually playing like great stuff. Like, like, like well, it, it did for, like, three weeks. That's the thing, right? Like, listen. I'm it, all in.
0: In the postseason, all right, 11 and a third innings – 13 strikeouts, zero walks. You all saw what he did in the World Series. It's that zero walks that really stands out to me because in the regular season, he had an 11% walk rate, which was worse than 90% of all pitchers who are through 60 innings. Uh, He had a 439 ERA. Now, I don't care about ERA for relievers that much. I extremely don't care about his career stats because half of that was when he was trying to be a starting pitcher with St. Louis. None of that matters. But the question here is, can you bet on the 11 and a third amazing innings over the, you know, 600 or so innings that he showed before where he was super inconsistent the joke about the great stuff is he's got an amazing fastball he's got an incredible curveball but he's never translated that into results and this is where i think the dodgers are kind of a good fit we talked about uh the astros a couple weeks ago how they can take these guys with these raw skills and make them better you know ryan presley justin verlander Cole, all that ryan presley is really the name that stands out to me here i still think most fans don't know who that is you listen to this show You know that we love Ryan Presley. I think he's a dominant reliever. I'm currently doing like my top 10 reliever list for MLB Network, and I'm trying to figure out if I can squeeze him onto the back of that. I probably can't, but I'm tempted to. Uh, Here are the numbers that you need to know about Joe Kelly. Last year, over 600 pitchers threw at least 100 fastballs, combining four seams, two seam sinkers. His 98.1 mile an hour average velocity was fourth best out of over 600. Let's call that a 99th percentile skill. Last year, over 230 pitchers threw at least 100 curveballs. He was one of only six to average over 3,000 RPMs of spin rate. Call that a 99th percentile skill. Do you think a team like the Dodgers might be interested in a guy with an elite fastball velocity and elite curveball spin? I would say yes, even though he, along with Nathan Eovaldi, has sort of been our poster boys for mediocre fastball spin without great movement. Uh, what I did was I compared all the pitchers uh, who had you know, 100 fastballs thrown, 100 curveballs thrown, and I compared velocity – and spin rate. I wanted to find the guys who are elite in both. And you'll see this in an article uh, that will go up soon. No one's near him. He is alone in the top right quadrant here. The two guys that are closest to him in this, Garrett Richards, who uh, his problem is health. When he's healthy, he's fantastic. And wait for it, Ryan Presley. It's, this is this is what they want. They want the next Ryan Presley. Now, I've got like four more things I'm going to say to explain, but I don't know why. Why are you on it? you just think the stuff is going to play up?
1: I, I just think that there was something that like he put pulled together – in the playoffs, uh, he just looked like a different pitcher. Uh, you pulled some numbers on his pitch usage that that suggests as much, and just the cut co- that the, the, the fastball curveball combination that he settled on in the playoffs was like, I mean, he was the big, I mean, he was going into the playoffs. Everyone was worried about the Red Sox bullpen.
0: Oh, yeah, I remember, and, and, I was one of
1: them. <laughs> and granted, they still had to sort of like spackle some things with Ivaldi and Price throwing out of the, the pen, but like. He was the biggest difference. He was like what allowed the Red Sox to have such a, an easy time for the postseason.
0: Yeah, what I wanted to find out was, so, you know, I talked about his velocity, his curveball spin. That's all great, but that's not new. You know, he's had that for a while and he hasn't been successful. So what I needed to do to be comfortable with this was to find some change, some reason that the the Kelly we saw in, the, uh, in October was a new Kelly. And I went and I found some local reports uh, from Boston media and they, they both kind of said the same thing. There was a trip that the Red Sox had at Yankee Stadium, September 18th to 20th. And apparently, uh, the manager and the pitching coach pulled him aside and they had a meeting. And two things came out of that meeting. One is the idea that he'd been tipping pretty much everything. And two, they wanted him to change some of his pitch uh, usage. So I went and I found some screenshots. And you can find this in this article as well. It's pretty clear to me what he changed on the mound. If you look at him early in the season, he, when he comes to the set position, his hands are at his chest. When he comes uh, set later in the season and the postseason, his hands are below the belt. I am not an expert on stealing signs or pitch tipping, but that's a pretty it, it, drastic it, 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 change. It, but trust me, the
1: imagery the imagery is very clear.
0: Yeah, and so you know, if the idea is either that a runner on second can see what he's doing in the mitt and signal into to the batter, or if the batter can see it himself, uh, this is not an inconsequential inconsequential change. And then, as you mentioned, he changed his pitches in the postseason quite a bit. During the regular season, he threw a slider fifteen percent of the time. In the postseason, zero percent of the time, it was simply gone. Uh, curveball up from nineteen to thirty three percent. Basically, his curveball and his four-seamer were 90% of his pitches in the postseason, and he used the changeup a little bit to keep guys off balance. And it was also different how he used them. In the regular season, he would throw a curveball on the first pitch 28% of the time. In the postseason, 43% of the time. I think batters weren't necessarily expecting that. And then also, when he got to two strikes, uh, his fastballs came higher. I think if you watched the World Series, how many high fastballs did Dodger hitters swim through? In the regular season, 49% of his two-strike fastballs were three feet or higher In the regular season, 71% of them were. These are meaningful changes. And I think the Red Sox may have started to unlock something. And the Dodgers seem like a pretty good spot to continue
1: doing that. And I, I mean, you know, Kelly was a converted starter at the major league level. And I think this is sometimes something that converted starters struggle with. They're used to this mentality of wanting to throw three pitches or four pitches. And it almost seems like with Kelly that that was sort of the mindset. And to be a successful reliever, you often only need two pitches, especially if you have two nasty pitches, which he does. And basically going to what he did was essentially rely on those two pitches almost exclusively and if he's going to be a guy throwing 99 with a ridiculous with a ridiculous curveball i there was a, there was a a gif that like mlb instagram like kept kept put put out after this, this deal was agreed to of this curveball he threw in the playoffs for the batter like spun out of oh, yeah, spun yeah. out of the box and i was just it reminded me of like how impressive he was in the postseason yeah, I and mean, like what is the contract really 3 for 25 well Kimbrell reportedly wants over
0: $100 million. You know, we saw Chapman and, and Jansen get, you know, $75, 80000000 whatever they got. If this works, it's a steal for the Dodgers. And if it doesn't, it's the Dodgers. They can handle it.
1: I mean, after this deal and Familia's deal, it's hard. To, I mean, Kimbrell's better than Familia, but he's not that much better than Familia when you consider that Familia's like a few years younger. So Familia's getting three for 30. My guess is Kimbrell gets on the high end five for 70 or four for 60.
0: I think that sounds about right. Like the Wade Davis-ish deal. Um, so we're both in favor of that one. Uh, there's something I wanted to talk about, about the Yankees. If you were to look at the Yankees roster right now, they are projected to be extremely right-handed heavy. I looked at the fan projections. They are projected to have about 75% of their plate appearances for this upcoming season come from either right-handed bats or switch hitter Aaron Hicks. I actually think it might be more than that, because if you look at the ones that are going uh, to this quartet, Brett Gardner, Tyler Wade, Greg Bird, and Jacoby Ellsberg, they are projected for 1300 plate appearances or 21%, I can't imagine they actually get that many plate appearances because those guys were all terrible this year. Obviously, Ellsbury was hurt. Uh, The other three combined hit 219, 306, 366. It would not surprise me if they're basically done with Greg Bird. Who knows what you're going to get at Ellsbury. Wade is a backup right now. Dating back to 2002, only 13 teams have had 75% or more of plate appearances going to righty. So that's step one. I think they could use a lefty bat somewhere. As you may or may not know, Yankee Stadium is famous for its short right field porch. Uh, Didi Gregorius, who was injured for the first half of the season, has 49 career homers at Yankee Stadium. Every single one is to right of center field. If you look at the last two years, and I just looked at home runs that went 350 feet or shorter. I don't want to say cheap home runs, but I don't have a better way to phrase it, so we'll go with that. 28 of the 30 parks saw 18 or fewer such home runs. Yankee Stadium saw 40 <laughs> second Second. To Houston, which had 42, obviously. They shot short Crawford boxes. And um, this isn't even related to right field because he's a right-handed hitter. Aaron Judge's home road splits continue to confound me. At home for his career, 322, 444, 693, massive. On the road, 226, 353, 440. He's not a left-handed hitter. I sometimes feel like he's just trying to golf balls that way, and it's not working for him. You almost want to, those numbers.
1: You almost want to stream him in fantasy, yeah, exactly <laughs> right.
0: Um, and uh, I also I went a little bit deeper. I looked up some data here. There are thirty parks in Major League Baseball. Each of them have a left, center, and right field. So that's ninety combinations. Uh, double that if I look at it just by what lefties do hitting and what righties do hitting. So I looked at the last two seasons. Those one hundred and eighty combinations, and I wanted to know which combinations. The highest sliding percentage on contact number one, lefty batters to right field at Yankee Stadium. This should not surprise you. Number two, lefty batters to right field in Cincinnati, and the next four are all righty batters to left field in Toronto, Fenway, Houston, Detroit. All of those make sense. Checks right? out, story checks out. So here's my thinking the Yankees need a lefty hitter, right field in Yankee Stadium is very favorable to lefty hitters. Which available lefty hitters? crush balls to right field. This is my entire premise here. Uh, So I looked at the last two years. I looked at all lefties who had at least 50 balls hit to their pull field. I sorted them by highest slugging percentage. I could have gone Woba, expected Woba, whatever. Kind of the same idea. Number one on that list. How many guesses do you think it would have taken you to guess this? Were you not staring at this list right now?
1: Uh, I probably would have guessed number two on the list.
0: Well, number two is Joey Gallo. (laughs) You're right. Listen, I have a top 10 in front of me. Let me just quickly get rid of the guys that are not available to the Yankees for various reasons. Uh, Jose Ramirez no Matt Olson no Eduardo Escobar just signed a, a new contract uh, Max Muncy who knows probably not uh, Juan Moncada you know he's not good enough I don't think Lucas Dude is not good enough Kyle Schwarber we've been talking about that one for a long time but I don't think they want to have him or Stanton playing left field every day the two names on this list that stood out to me plus a bonus it wasn't on the list number one of the entire sport Eric Thames It is Thames, right? I'm never going to remember if it's Tem or Thames. Thames Thames. with Marcus. There we go. Eric Thames uh, crushes balls to right field. Just absolutely destroys them. A slugging percentage of over 1,200. You may remember him in 2017. He came back to uh, Major League Baseball, hit 31 homers for the Brewers. This last year wasn't so great for him. Missed time with a thumb injury this time with a hamstring injury. And then also they had Jesus Aguiar, who kind of had his breakout and took over the first base jump. But he still hit right-handers pretty well, slugged 490 against them, uh, weighted runs created plus of 110. He was actually tied with John Carlos Stanton in, in barrels per plate appearance, which is pretty cool. I don't imagine the Brewers would have much issue uh, in, in trading him because Aguiar has really taken that spot. If you don't think you want to trust Greg Bird and you don't know if Luke Void is going to be your guy, I like, I like this. As sort of an insurance policy, maybe this is where Sonny Gray goes.
1: Oh, interesting! Right? Making up some trades. I, I like Mike, it, Mike. Get in the trades. spirit.
0: All right, so I like that one. The other name on the list, and he was let's see, eighth, ninth. Let's say it was one of those, Scooter Jeanette, which I I love this idea for the Yankees. So I right, think about this. He's built himself into a slugger. I know you think of him as like the light hitting Milwaukee Brewer who got DFA'd over the last two years with Cincinnati. He's hit three hundred three, three fifty one, five hundred eight. He's out slugged Manny Machado, Chris Bryant, and Alex Bregman, literally Scooter Jeanette. What? And I think we, we talked to how he broke down his swing uh, a couple months ago. He's got one year left on his deal. The Reds are reportedly willing to trade him. The Yankees have reportedly checked in on him. Think about how this would fit. Gregorius is out for probably, I don't know, July, August-ish. Uh, so that means Torres is probably going to move over from second to short. Who's going to play second? They don't know right now. Why don't you put in Scooter Jeanette? He's like, he's not a great fielder, but he's competent. And he can pound the ball to right field at Yankee Stadium. I have makes,
1: makes a, a lot of sense.
0: Uh, the last bonus name uh, is, is not nearly as interesting, but Daniel Descalso, who, uh, you know, long-time National League light-hitting backup infielder. But he rebuilt his swing with Matt Lyle, who just got hired by the White Sox to come in and help rebuild swings. This last year, he set career highs in on-base slugging and home runs, dropping his ground ball percentage to a career-low 30%. He can play all over the field. Everybody wants this versatile guy. They're not going to get all three of these guys. They might not get any of them, but they need some lefties, and they need to fill out some depth. This is how I propose to do it.
1: Uh, Or they could sign Bryce Harper.
0: Well, I should have – actually, I should have prefaced this. They should totally sign Bryce
1: (laughs) Harper. That should be the number one thing they should do, but also these things. Well, it is interesting in the context, uh, this this, this sort of right-left split that you mentioned – Is very interesting, the contents text of Machado versus Harper, because there's always been talk of, there's been this all this talk of, are the Yankees in on Machado or Harper or both? And, you know, Cashman has been a little coy about like, oh, well, first he was like, we're not in on Harper, we've got too many outfielders. And then the indication was like, oh, maybe they're going to go after Machado, which makes sense in regards to Gregorius. Yeah, Gregorius will be back, but they could play Machado at short when he gets back. And if Gregorius isn't back until the second half of the year, you only have to worry about finding at-bats for all those guys for like, Two months, no big deal. And Grace is a free agent. That's exactly exactly. But when you think about the the right ready heavy lineup that they have, suddenly Machado makes less sense. If you care, if you care about such things, Machado makes a lot less sense, and Harper makes a lot more sense. And as I've said on the show many times, like to me, the fact that they have Judge and Stanton shouldn't should, they have a DH spot? Right. Should not include. In fact, like if you want to keep all three guys healthy, how about cycling them through? Like that would actually probably increase the productivity of all of them.
0: I, I agree. So Hicks is your center field because yeah. he's really good. You know, you have you have Gardner as a backup because he can play some center field as needed too. He's a good defender, so fine. I'm not even going to pretend to care about Jacoby Ellsbury right now. Okay. He's off the radar. Yeah, left field, right field, DH, Stanton, Judge, Harper,
1: cycle as needed. There's not a problem here. <laughs> like this is an amazing fit. And so when you when you as you. When you brought this to my attention, this left-right split makes makes me think that maybe the Yankees are just being coy, and that they really are. Tar- I mean, Harper wants to play for the Yankees. I think that's probably right. He said when he was profiled in sport, uh, S- sports sports he he's like sixteen. I want to play for the Yankees. I mean, like Bryce Harper likes splinters. His favorite teams are the Yankees, Duke basketball, Ohio State, like and, and Ohio the Cowboys, State I think. Ohio State football. Like, okay, <laughs> that doesn't make me like him more. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, this is he, he puts it he, he puts it out there, right? He likes the big teams. He wants to play for a winner. Uh, I
0: I think you're hundred percent right. I don't actually think that's what's gonna happen. My I, I still think the White Sox are sneaky in on this. Um, but my my current Bryce Harper prediction, the Dodgers trade some of their excess outfielders to Cleveland or Cincinnati, wherever they're gonna get some pitching, and then they sign Bryce Harper. it's it's perfect for me. Well it's most of
1: Vegas, it's Hollywood, it's all of it. Well that's sort of what I think is like the what's gonna end up happening with Harper's. I sort of feel like the, the Phillies and or the White Sox might have the biggest offers on the table, but the Yankees and Dodgers will be in. Yeah. And so there'll be like this push-pull of like, do I want to just go be this, go play in the big city on the big, on like the glory team, or do I want to take the absolute highest offer? I could be wrong on that. That's just sort of a sense I have, like where the kind of the push-pull is going to come from.
0: Really looking forward to him signing on Christmas Eve and ruining everybody's holidays. <laughs> uh, the last guy I want to talk about here is JT Realmuto. Obviously... An enormous topic of interest because he's on the trade block. And there's some interesting numbers I want to get to, but I'm going to kind of jump to the end here. Joe Frazzaro, our Marlins.com beat reporter, he wrote this on Wednesday, uh, and I'm quoting here, the Reds are believed to be new to the equation, as are the Rays. They join the Dodgers, Mets, Astros, Yankees, Braves, and Phillies. How are we still talking about like eight teams here? It's the middle of December. Like, like how have we not narrowed this down yet?
1: Because I think that the, it seems like the Marlins are really – holding out for like a team to like do something he's valuable like they should
0: get something good but you know
1: (laughs) i think i think the marlins are basically holding out for a major leaguer with four plus a good major leaguer with four plus years in control and an elite prospect i think that's what they're holding out for and until they get it they're going to keep holding out for him but then you know some of these teams might go sign grandal and ramos and the market might might He's, he's
0: valuable. Like we've talked about him uh, a couple of times. He's extremely valuable. He's the best catcher in baseball in a weak catching market. How much of this do you think is that they feel like they need to sort of make up for last winter where none of those trades have worked out super well for them? 100%. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's right. But, you know, there is such a thing as holding on to him too long. I, I can't believe he would come straight trading. with them. Or I mean, he would, but I can't believe they would want that situation to be happening. This, this has to get done sooner than later,
1: I would think. Yeah, hey, I, I think it will. I think it will get done before, before Christmas. That's my prediction.
0: I certainly hope so. Um, listen, well, I'm not just here to talk about trade rumors. We have some numbers and this was interesting. I, I, this was brought up by uh, Jeff Sullivan writing at fan And I, I sort of knew this, but I hadn't really realized it until he laid out the numbers. So I need to share them with you. He has some massive, massive home road splits for his career. J2 Romito at home has hit 244 with a 292 on base and a 384 slugging. That's not great. That's a 291 weighted on base. The 2018 equivalent of that, Ahmed Rosario or Manny Margot. Not so great. On the road, 310, 358, 494. That's a 364 weighted on base. That's the 2018 equivalent of Javi Baez or Chris with a K Davis, the good Chris Davis. That is a really, truly massive thing. Part of it is just batting average on balls and play. 279 at home, 356 on the road so what jeff did is he went back to 2002 and he found 547 players who had a thousand played appearances both home and road the largest worst at home weighted obvious differences number one jt or That is a gap of 73 points and if you look at all the guys below him it's like khalil green and kevin kuzmanoff it's a bunch of guys who uh several guys who played at you know petco park back when petco was like death to hitters that is amazing to me. And he also looked at some stat cast numbers. Uh, if you just look at the last four seasons, largest expected weighted on base, home row differences, minimum 500 plate appearances. Logan Morrison is actually number one. Romito is on the list at number seven. So I thought that was fascinating because I had just done all this research about Yankee Stadium's right field. So I looked at the very bottom of that list that I had done, the 180 combinations of venue, field, and handedness. And I wanted to see, well, where's Marlins Park on that? And it turns out pretty low. Right handers hitting New mar- right field at Marlins Park had a 397 slugging and a 281 weighted on base. I'm sure that some of that is that the Marlins haven't actually, you know, been very good this year. I get that. But I also just looked at this last year and I looked at away batters only, only visitors coming to Marlins Park. They had a 31.5% hard hit rate. That was the lowest in baseball. I remember that was visiting hitters and the Marlins pitching staff wasn't actually any good. That says to me there is absolutely something going on. At Marlins Park, by the way, the very last one on that list of 180 righties to right field at City Field. I think we talked about this in regards to Jacob Degrom. You cannot hit the ball to right field at City Park; like, you just can't. Especially if you're
1: if you're a, a right-handed hitter, and that was like a big thing when the park opened when David Wright was still in his prime, because like he was at Shea Stadium, he used to hit opposite field home runs all the time, and something was basically like, oh, this huge strength of your star player was totally. Removed. I also thought it was interesting
0: if you look at Real Muto uh, over the last four years, just expected weighted on base. So not outcomes, just what happens on contact and also strikeouts and walk on the road 338 at home 302. So that says to me, whatever the impact of the park, the park is on how the ball flies, there is something that's preventing him from just being as good right at home plate. I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's a lousy hitter's eye. I don't know. I really, I just don't know. But there is something there that does not seem to agree with him. And I guess that makes him even more valuable. Because the idea is you get him out of there and then he starts hitting, like, like I said, his career road numbers basically hit like Javi Baez did this year. You get a guy like that who's a good defensive catcher, I think the Marlins are asking for too much, but I certainly understand
1: why they're doing it. Where do you think he's going to end up? I saw, uh, I saw, I saw uh, Jerry Krasnick float the Brewers today.
0: You know what? I've I've long thought they were a great fit, but I – well, two things. I've been surprised they haven't been in on him yet. And also, I'm not sure that – like what prospects are they going to send back? Do you think they would send Hira? Do you think that the Marlins would want to deal
1: with them again? Because it doesn't seem like the Yash deal worked out so well. well that, that could be part of it. There's also the, um, their first round pick from this year, whose name escapes me, uh, is also now available to trade, which he was not at the trade deadline. The Ebers? Yes. Whose name escapes me, but he was like a pretty high draft pick. So, uh, but yeah, Hiero would probably be the sort of like the, in the Brewers package. I imagine he would have to be included.
0: Well, I think you asked me a question of which team. I have always thought that the Astros were a phenomenal fit here. I mean, they're a phenomenal fit for everybody, right? But I don't know. I don't – would you trade Kyle Tucker for it? I think I would. I wouldn't trade farce Whitley. Uh,
1: it's, it's an interesting question. Um, I still think – thing is you could still go out uh, – Bryce Trang is the Bryce guy. Bryce Trang. You yeah. made me look it up um, while we were talking. Could you tell we were stalling so we could both look that up? <laughs> um, and Corey, Corey Ray had a really nice year too, but then again, I'm not sure they want to go trade for another Brewers outfield prospect right now.
0: I'm going to uh, go Occam's Razor on this one. The Mets. I mean, that's the most smoke, clearly. Yes. I but I, I think you would have to give up Nimmo to do it.
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy to me. <laughs> now, in all seriousness, I looked this up the day. Since since Nimmo came up to the majors, you know, with two months left in the two thousand seventeen season, by a weighted runs created plus of qualified hitters in that time, he's like eighteenth in baseball. Yeah, he's been the top twenty yeah. hitter since he came up. He's like, been phenomenal, <laughs> uh, and like Credford was like twenty third, and Conforto had a terrible first half this year. But like, it's like they shouldn't trade him. <laughs> I still think I still think I like the Rays. I know they got Zunino. I don't care. Oh, he's a
0: perfect fit there. Totally, and
1: they have they, they have they have they have the prospects to deal. The Mets, if the Mets had just traded for trade Kalenic to get Kalenic and done, to. In that DS Diaz, trade, yeah, I think yeah. that I think that this would be. I think this trade would be done. They'd have Real Mota by now.
0: I don't know what the Reds are doing. in The conversation. I guess they would trade Tucker Barnhart somewhere. It's it's a weird fit. I like that they're trying.
1: Well, they're but... sort of in a weird spot, right? Because they might, if they're doing that, then they're not going to trade Gannett. and then it's like, okay, well, are they going to sign Keuchel? Which has been rumored that they're going to be on Keuchel. Keuchel has like no suitors left, and <laughs> with good reason because he wasn't, hasn't been very good the last couple of years. Yeah, I know. But like the Red signing Keuchel just feels like one of those like when a team like tries to make a make a splash. Well, I think
0: they think like ground ball guy in that ballpark, which I, I guess, I don't know if you'd want
1: to go. But like that. if they sign Keichel, like if they sign Keichel and trade for Ramuto, then at least you're like, okay, well maybe they're a 500 team They could battle for that second. I mean, the, well, they, they got Roark too. Right? Exactly, so, Roark. That, nice, that was a nice deal for them. Yeah. I mean, their lineup is pretty good with Suarez and Vado and Gannett. And,
0: and, and no more Hamilton. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so there is, I mean like you can squint and see an 85 win team there with a couple of additions if they got Ramuto, but they'd have to trade Granted, Senzel. You does not have a great,
0: yeah.
1: The thing about the Reds, is a, a kind of a square peg there, so unless they trade, unless
0: they trade Scooter and then you're second baseman,
1: I guess. But uh, um... you can
0: squint and see an 85 win team there. You could also say that might be the fifth best team in that division, it's that, a tough division. Also,
1: that is also true, but they also, I mean, they've, they've, they've really been kind of mediocre for a few years now. Some there could just be getting it, you know, some teams just get antsy. I think that's what's happening with the White Sox which is great. I want to see some of these teams uh, going
0: forward. We could spit all these ideas all day, but we're not going to. That's our show for this week. Uh, we'll have one more next week before the holiday break. Thanks so much for listening. This is the MLB.com StackCast podcast.